But it's just been a, it's just been an awesome opportunity to be here with you. I pray that you would forget uh, me, but never forget what God is doing in you through His Word. There's a lot of things that I love. One of them is watching documentaries. I love I love watching documentaries. I, I mean, I love all kinds of stuff, but I love learning. There's something about it. And I was watching a documentary, and I'm convinced, by the way, that each one of you have a passion. You were, were built to have passions. You have something that you love as well, something that gets you up in the morning, something that keeps you up late at night. You've got a passion that God has given you. It's because you're meant to burn. You're meant to hold fire. You are a furnace, not a fridge. You've got passions. Mine happens to be documentaries. I love those TV shows um, that teach you things that you think you know that you don't know, that you didn't know, that you didn't know until that you know that you didn't know, you know? Yes? They did this show about simple things in our life, and I wish I could tell you all of them, but I just got a couple examples of things that you just maybe have been doing wrong your entire life. How many of you like eating bananas? Okay, there's a couple ways to open this. How many of you are those banana Neanderthals where you just rip off the top and it's banana mush everywhere? You don't care, you just tear into it, raise your hand. Okay, there's some of you, it's disgusting. How many of you are not that type, but you're more of like a banana surgeon, where you, 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 you take a banana, and then you get your, your pocket knife, and I think every guy needs a good pocket knife. It's, that was fast, wasn't it? Don't mess with me. Um, and you just sort of trim just a little bit off, and then what you do is then you can actually peel. You don't cut all the way through. You just cut a little part way through, and then you break it and do that. How many of you are banana surgeons? Raise your hand. Okay, there's a few of you. You've been doing that wrong your entire life. You're not supposed to rip it. You're not supposed to bite it. You're not even supposed to use a knife. You don't even need any of that stuff. You just need to do what the banana is designed to do. This is usually the top of the banana. You actually open up a banana from the bottom. All you got to do is just pinch the bottom like this, and it even removes that brown chunk that no one really wants to eat. (laughs) Did you see how easy that was? Does anybody want to finish this? Okay, I got you. Come here. There you go. What's your name? David. David, careful. Just, there you go. There you go. Hold, uh, thank you, David, for eating that in front of me. That was weird. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I know there's a Chi Alpha kid over here that definitely wants this. Um, come on over here in the hat. I saw you. Get over here. What's your name, bro? What's your name, man? Hey, Colton. All right. Game on, Colton. I'm never coming back to this camp. Exhibit B, simple can of Coke. You ever wonder what that little hole at the top of every can is for? 
Now, some of you may or may not know this, but there's that little hole on the top of every tab of every soft drink in an aluminum can like this. It's not for a weight reduction. It's not for aerodynamics. It's not for, you know, some sort of weird shipping thing. It's actually so you put it over the entrance of the top that you just made, and then you take a straw, and it actually is meant to hold your straw in place. That's what it's for. I'm blowing your mind right now. Who wants to finish this up? <laughs> Colton, never drink Coke and bananas. First thing they tell you in Bible school, don't do Coke and bananas. Get over here. Red hat. What's your name, man? Russell, I'm going to get you a new straw. I just shared a banana with Col Colton. There you go. You're welcome. Thanks for coming on the stage. Wow. Russell just came right up here. He might be an evangelist. <laughs> Exhibit C, cupcakes. There is something about a cupcake that you need to know. Now, how many of you have eaten a cupcake and you just bite into the cupcake straight away and you get frosting up your nose? Raise your hand. It's not how these are designed. These are engineered confection machinery. Some of you farmers like that. But all you got to do is take a cupcake. You just peel a little ways around. Not all the way around, just a little ways around. And then you're supposed to take the top, flip it over, and then you start tearing it away and you eat it like that, a cup of cake. That's how you eat a cupcake. That's the proper way. That's how the Brits do it. Who wants this? Uh, this is an easy sell. Come over here, sweetheart. Now, here's the deal. Are you here with your family? Yes. Okay, how many are in your family? Seven? Hmm? Somebody's going to lose out. <laughs> Choice is yours. Stinks for them. Don't eat in here. That thing's a mess. Exhibit D. Standard saran wrap. What do you think I'm going to do with this? <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, no. It was going fine until the pastor got the saran wrap. When you open up a box of saran wrap, and I could have started this earlier, but inside here there's that little thing that says pull here to start. No problem. You get it started, and then what happens with this dumb thing? You're rolling it, and then what happens? It falls out of the box, onto the floor every single time. But did you know that on the side of this little box, you may have never seen this, but it's there. There's these little push tabs, one and two. Check it out. Never falls out of the box. Yeah, I just changed your life, Mom. You've been wrapping up kids' leftovers all wrong your entire life, and now you came to family camp and you're a stinking scientist. <laughs> Show of hands. How many of you learned something new tonight? Put your hand up. Put it up if you learned something new, and be honest. Look around. I need to come here more often, Pastor Mark. <laughs> I love watching documentaries because you learn things that are new. 
I love learning about Amelia Earhart and her passions for flight and what she did and the mystery behind her death intrigues me. Like how she flew and the passions and the sacrifice it took, she burned for flight. I love learning about Abraham Lincoln, who says at a famous speech at Gettysburg, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers conceived on this continent a new nation dedicated to the proposition that every single one of us are equal. I love learning about different Facts, figures, failures, you could go through the list from A to Z, but there's something about our passions that we're built for. Dr. King's dream, the Bigfoot show, Shark Week, food, golf, farming, food, I love passion. I love that we're built for this. I want you just to take a quick second and just turn to somebody that's near you and tell them something that you're passionate about. Just tell them something you're into, something you geek out about. It might be comics, might be Marvel, it might, whatever it is. Ready? One, two, three, go. Just talk to somebody. You got it. You're doing it. All right, now listen. What you need to know is that every single one of you are built for fire. You are a furnace, not a fridge, and you do have passion. This is so true. You know that it is because each of you carry a passion, a fire, something that you enjoy, something that gets you up in the morning and keeps you up late at night. They're called your children. But I want you to know that in Genesis 2-7, Genesis 2-7, you, you can flip there if you like, but you don't have to because you know what God makes mankind out of. Dirt and air or the breath of God, matter and breath. Do you realize that in breath there's carbon dioxide and there's oxygen and the same thing that is dirt and air is the exact same elements, if you will, that fire's made out of. Matter and air. Like the science of fire is really the anthropological nature of humanity. It's really the same stuff, just different forms. Because you're not built like a fridge. You're built like a furnace. And you have passions and you will burn for something. You're built for this. You're wired for this. Every person... In this room is a furnace that burns about these two truths because of these two truths about fire. And I'm going to go through them tonight, and we're going to see what God does in your life. The first thing you need to know is that sin is fire. Sin is fire. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 can a person take fire in their being, their chest, and his soul, his clothes, his life, not be burned? Sin is like fire. The tongue is, in James, akin or a metaphor for what? Fire. And it sets ablaze. 
sin is fire. In Minnesota, where we deal with all kinds of people groups, specifically First Nations groups, they've got a word for alcohol. They've got a word that's a, a term for booze, for liquor. What do they call it? Fire what? Water. Native Americans, they've got it right when they call it this. There's drug addiction in St. Paul because people are looking for the fire, the rush of it in their brain, in their body. Sin is fire. I could go through the list. There are so many people that are bellied up to a bar waiting for fire to erupt. They want to feel something. They want to fight for something. They're dulling of the fire of, of pain. Everyone say hi to my son Xander who just walked in. <laughs> Pastor Naomi, hi. Um, can you all give Pastor Naomi a round of applause for being Summit's Family Life Pastor? Pastor Naomi, um, we didn't have church today. You're on the clock. Could you help Xander find his way to kids' church, please? No, I'm serious. I'm, I actually need you to get up out of your chair and go take care of my son right now. Once again for Pastor Naomi, everybody. Xander, buddy, go with Pastor Naomi. She's going to help you, okay? Thank you, buddy. What are they running over there, Mark? Like, that's my kid. He's, he could be down at the blob, blobbing himself. <laughs> Love you, Xander. See you in a little bit. Wow. Let's talk about um, illicit content on the internet. Do you know that, that people, uh, they download images because, why? They're trying to start a fire. If there are men or women in this room and you are dealing with that issue of your internet history on your phone that you would not let your kids look at, you need to talk to someone about that in your life tonight. Not tomorrow, not next week, tonight. You need to talk to a safe place. And that's not me. You need to talk to a pastor that's in your life. Talk to someone here that's connected to your life in proximity. Do not let it consume you. You're burning for something. I could go through the list. Do you know that marriages break up because, because somebody is looking for the fire again? They say, we don't have the romance that we once had. We don't have the passion that we once had. We don't have fill in the blank that we once had, so I'm going to go find it somewhere else. Isaiah 9 says, wickedness burns as a fire. Sin as a fire is active and latent. It can spread itself, power to change its nature. It repels energy. It devours. It inflicts pain. But it's also able to be extinguished. 
What you need to know is this simple truth when it comes to the reality of fire, that you are not a fridge, you are a furnace. And if you burn for sin or play with sin or you have sin in your life, if sin is fire and you play with it, you will get burned. At some point, it's going to sabotage your life. It's going to disturb the shalom, the deep-seated peace between you and God or you and others. It's going to sideline your ministry. It's going to take a step back. You're going to have to deal with now the wounds and the charring and the burning of what sin has done and the effects of it. Now, in the spiritual realm, those things are new. Further from the east is to the west, but I'm telling you, rebuilding trust with your spouse... That may take time. This is what happens because sin is fire. Play with it and you get burned. This is what happens when we don't realize the effects that it has on us. It's not simply something we should allow in our life. We shouldn't uh, flirt with it in our life. We shouldn't uh, endorse it in our life. We shouldn't hang around with it in our life. We shouldn't have it in our life. Because it wants to destroy you. Number two. This simple truth, God is fire. There's this beautiful metaphor in the Bible all through it. And, you know, excuse me for the details, but I will go through them shortly. Every book of the Bible, God shows up in some sort of form of fire. Tozer says it best. Uh, There's a fancy Scrabble word. Are you ready? Ineffable. Do you know what that means? Ineffable? I didn't either. I had to look it up. Like I was reading Tozer, and then he said this word. I'm like, well, I, 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 went, I didn't go to Bethel. I don't. <laughs> Ineffable means unable or unable to be captured in human language. That's why when we talk about God, there is a he pronoun we talk about. But do you realize that God is not male or female? He's a spirit. And the reason why in the Bible we talk about it in a he pronoun, it's because when, when, when you look at the Hebrew language, there's no proper pronoun that can house those two realities of God being a spirit. Now, I'm not saying Jesus wasn't a man because he was manifested, came to this earth as a biological male. But what I'm talking about is the Father. He is a spirit. He's not this Santa Claus in the sky on a big chair with a white beard as the Father in heaven. We talk about that because we don't have a word in Hebrew that can be a masculine pronoun between he and she. So we just say Father or him. When God was talking to Moses, what did he tell him? Tell him them, tell him Tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. Because there was no word to capture God. I absolutely love that we are not able to capture God in human language. He is ineffable. He's above it. He's around it. He's over it. You couldn't display it. You couldn't describe it. All the art and the poetry in the world and every song that you sing could never capture who God is. It's without human description. And yet we've got this beautiful metaphor in the word of God that God is 
like fire. In Genesis, he's the fire of creation. Exodus, the one that calls out of the burning bush. Leviticus, the sacrifice that consumes our sin. The Joshua, the fire that tears down the walls. Judges, he's the one that called Gideon to go forth with might and power and Ruth, the fire of commitment. In First and Second Samuel, he's David, fire of, of deliverance over his enemies. In First King, he's Elisha's fire. In Second Kings, he's Elisha's fire. In First and Second Chronicles, he's the Shekinah glory that burns. In Ezra, he's the fire that restores a temple. In Nehemiah, he's the fire that rebuilds a life. In Esther, he's the fire of preserving and preservations. In Job, he's the fire of comfort, even in affliction. In Psalms, he's the spark of fire that causes joy, praise, and inspiration. In Proverbs, he's the fire or the flame of wisdom. In Isaiah, he's the coal of fire that touches the lips of the prophet to speak. In Jeremiah, he's the fire in the kiln in the potter's house. In Lamentations, the fire of compassion. In Ezekiel, the fire that brings dry bones to life. In Daniel, he's the fire in the fiery furnace. In those minor prophets, he's the fire that causes people to repentance. And in the gospel, he's fire that is made flesh. Fire in the hands of a healer. Fire that promises to be fire in our hands and hearts. Fire that allows us to go be and blaze and burn in his name. Are you getting what I'm saying right now? That God is fire. In Acts, he's the tongues and the gifts of fire. In Romans, He's the fire that consumes the living sacrifice. In 2 Corinthians, he's the fire that judges our works. In Galatians, the fire that burns away flesh so the new fruit of the Spirit can actually grow within you. In Ephesians, he's the fire over our principalities, powers, darkness. In Philippians, he's the fire that declares that you can do all things through him. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's the fire that catches us away and Timothy, he's the fire that fuels the faithful servants. And James, he's the fire that brings practical advice for living. And Peter, the fire that purifies. And first and second and third John, the fire that forgives our sin. And Revelation, he's the fire that was, that is, and that always will be. God is like fire. And you commit to him, you will be refined you will be refined. This is what God is. Now the truth is, since you are a furnace, and sin is fire and God is fire, we get to decide what we're going to burn for. I'll just simply say, with little private discipline, there's very little public reward. The greater the division of your Christian public self and your actual self, the greater the weight that you have to carry. Sin is burdensome to carry when you have to manufacture reality and be someone truly that you're not. This is what the fire of sin wants to do in your life weigh you down but God's fire wants to consume you up go to your Bible as we start our message for tonight God I pray that as we look to your word you would speak to us all 
and we would burn for you. That you'd give us the courage tonight to deal with those things in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a beautiful portion of scripture where an altar is constructed. And do you realize that we are people of the altar? I mean, in all of the things that we talk about when it comes to camp and all of the reminiscing that, you know, Steph was doing and all of the things that you hear about with the stories of Lake Geneva, you know, they're also true at Spencer Lake in Wisconsin, by the way. Yeah, I know. I'm just telling you the truth. You can shake your head and act like you're the only people that, that God shows up in the summer for, but that's just not true. Do you know that Wisconsin sends more missionaries to Minnesota? No, I'm kidding. Some of you are like Googling that stat right now. Like I said, I'm never coming back. But God shows up there too. He did in my childhood, and he did in yours. You know this carpet, torn, stained steps? Do you know this is an altar? And it used to be at the old tabernacle, and it used to be here, or it was at Spencer Lake. But I want to tell you something about your life, that when you experience God at his altar and fire falls on your life, it marks you. It marks you. You realize that you're meant to carry this. For refinement, not carry it for burden. You are a person of the altar. We are people of the altar. And this is a special place. And it's not just here. It's right there in that pew. It's back in that corner when I remember praying for a demon to leave a girl at a camp. I remember standing right here. There's an oil stain right here. This oil stain is because your PM speaker is coming this week named Micah Mack after his father and everything that he was going through. I was the speaker, and God spoke to me very clearly. And two of his armor bearers, Brent Silkey and Andrew Johnson, held up his arms, and I had them go get oil from the cafeteria. Not just a little oil, enough oil that we put a tarp down, and we still stained the carpet. And from that point forward, he ministered not out of pain, but of passion. And his life was forever changed. And he went out of this place, not because of Eric Samuel Tim or Brent or Andrew, because the fire of God fell on his life. This is a sacred space. This is a beautiful place. And you are people of the altar. Why do we do these moments, it's because there is a moment that God has for you here. There's something about the altar that fire falls upon. So go to 1 Kings chapter 18, picking up at verse 15. Elijah 
is there. One of the last people that's following God in this portion of Scripture. Verse 19, Now set and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Ashtra, who eat at Jezebel's table. So, Ahab sent a message to the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between these two opinions of God and sin? How long are you going to burn for for false gods or the real God? You're built for fire. How long are you going to wander or waffle back and forth of who is God? The Lord, if the Lord is God, capital L-O-R-D is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then, you know, follow him. But if the people do not answer in a word, then Elijah said to the people, I alone and the left, uh, the, the only left prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now, can you imagine this? How many people are in here tonight, approximately? 1,200. Okay, it's camp. There's 1,400 people in here. So, like, if there's a thousand people, let's just say this half of the room, stand up. This half of the room, stand up. If you're able, please stand up. I'm talking to you, guy in the coral shirt. It's a lovely color in Florida. Stand up. Okay, Pastor Naomi, where are you at? Okay, you're done with Xander? Perfect. Pastor Naomi, stand up. Okay, it's one versus 450 prophets of Baal. Sorry. She works with me at Summit. You think I was going to choose her for Baal? Okay, you can sit down. I just wanted to give you a visual. So you got to be overwhelmed with this for a second because we, we read the Bible backwards. Do you realize that? Like we get to see the end of the movie and then we go back to the story. We've heard the story, so we know how this is going down. In fact, some of you are already filling the blank. Some of you stopped listening because you're like, oh, I know, the fire and the rocks and it licks up the thing and then he runs to the cave and then he hides. I know how the story goes. But these people in this moment, Pastor Naomi, if she's the last prophet against all the prophets of Baal, they don't get to read the Bible backwards. They're stuck in a moment where they're literally living it going, it's me versus them. There's a lot of weight in this moment. Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox. Excuse me, that's verse 25. Let me pick up at verse 23. Now let them give us two oxen, and let's choose one ox for them, and cut it up and place it on the wood, put no fire under it, and I'll prepare the other ox and lay it on the other altar, and I'm not going to put any fire on that. You're going to call on Baal. I'm going to call on God and see who answers by fire. Well, then he obviously is who? God. Big G-O-D. And all the people said, quote, that is a good idea. It's in your Bible. I absolutely love that translation. If your God shows up or my God shows up, we'll see who's God. That's a good idea. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves, prepare it. They took the ox, put it on there. Oh, Baal, answer us, they said. But there was no voice. 
And no one answered. They leaped around the altar and said, Baal, answer us. I always like to think, because it's B-A-A-L, I always like to think it's like, no offense to anyone who's from France, but it's sort of a French accent. Baal, please help us. No, show up to us. Yes. Prophet Baal, be our guest, be our guest. Put our magic to the test. Uh That was a good joke. All you kids pastors can use that one. (laughs) Nothing happens. Absolutely nothing happens. It came about noon that Elijah mocked them and said the same, you know, Elijah mocked them. Okay, we're not even going to talk about that. Talk to Pastor Mark about that. He mocked them and said, call out with a loud voice for he's God. Either he's occupied, uh, you know, he's gone inside or outside or he's on a journey or maybe he's asleep and he needs to be awakened. I love the brashness of this guy. Have you noticed I'm a little blunt? Uh, yeah, I know it's just kind of a thing I do. It's biblical. <laughs> so they crowd with a loud voice and cut themselves. This is torn with swords and lances until blood gushed out of them. Uh, if you've ever wondered, by the way, this is a separate message for a separate time, but if you've ever had someone in your life that, that struggles with self-harm or self-mutilation, here's a good proof text for you. Because they really want someone to show up for them. That's really what they want. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering in the evening. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Now it's God's turn. Elijah said to the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And he took 12 stones, according to what? 12 tribes. Now, in the audience, right now, there are 12 stones. I don't know where they are. They were handed to you. you if one more water bottle. <laughs> Let's talk about this for a second. Do you remember when we all didn't have cell phones? Some of you were born with a cell phone. You came out of the womb. Hello? (laughs) But when we got cell phones, you had a slide up at your church, or you you saw it a lot, a sign. It just kind of turned it into, like, you know, the, the thing that we would police. Please silence your cell phone. Upon entering, please turn off your ringer. Please silence your... At a movie, at a church service, they would ask you to silence your cell phone and you would mute it so you wouldn't get a call. And I think the aluminum hydro flask that you got at Costco (laughs) needs to be the new silence your cell phone. (laughs) Tech team, please whip up a slide, Jess, that says... Please secure your stupid water bottle. (laughs) Sincerely, LGCC. 
and Pastor Eric. Asterisk, stay hydrated. Those water bottles are driving me absolutely nuts. Like, I can handle kids crying. You hear it? Did you hear it? Yes! Thank you, Jessica. Production for the win. Give it up for every tech team at your church right now. Josh Hall, Reach Communications. Jessica, don't know your last name, but you're awesome. No, you should leave it up. Leave that stinking sign up there. Listen, I can handle babies crying, my son randomly walking in. It's fine. I speak in public schools with Richard Baker for Youth Alive. That's nothing. But for some reason, that water bottle is just driving me nuts. I'm just waiting for another one to fall. (laughs) Hold on to it. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) He takes 12 stones. Is anybody having fun? Okay, good, because you should. I don't know who told you this was supposed to be boring tonight, but it's not. I'm having fun until a water bottle hits the ground. <laughs> and I'm going, no, I just, I promise, man. I'm, I'm. All right, so you got 12 rocks. There's a couple rocks out there. If you got a rock, um, don't throw it and don't drop it. But pick it up and look at the name that's on that rock because Elijah took these, he took these stones and for the 12 tribes of Israel, he put it together. And I just want to, Go through these 12 tribes briefly, and you can come up as I give you your, the name of your rock that you're holding. It's one of the tribes of Israel, okay? And if you can't read the Sharpie, just guess. And I want you to come, and I want you to set it right here, okay? And we're going to go through these quick, but at the same time, if you got one of these stones, we're going to rebuild the altar because these 12 tribes have got names, and these names are all things that actually happen at the altar. Every one of these names in their meaning happens at the altar. The first stone, bring it if you got it, Judah the tribe of Judah, which means praise. At the altar, we praise. We are built to burn for praise. Simeon, it means hearing, actually. Simeon actually means hearing. We hear God and are built to burn to hear his voice. Reuben, that is a really delicious sandwich, but it's also one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and it actually means behold a son, and at the altar when you're here, do you know that new life is birthed, and you behold a new thing you didn't 
have before. Dan, Dan actually means God is my judge. You come to the altar and you're built to burn for God's truth, inspecting your life, the secrets of your heart. Levi, Levi is to be joined to, but also separated from. You're built for union with God and you're built to be separated from sin. Zebulon, to, to dwell or to take up residence. We're built to burn. We're built to have the fire of God's presence. Just sitting and soaking in that presence. This happens at the altar. Issachar means understanding. It brings remembrance. It brings clarity. You are built to burn for that heavenly knowledge and revelation and understanding. Naphtali, to fight or to struggle. You're burned to have the battle at the altar where there is a struggle. I saw a woman stand right here last night when she's wrestling with forgiveness. It's hard. There's a struggle. There's something that's happening at the altar. Gad, a trooper army. You're meant to burn for community. There's something about a brotherhood and a sisterhood of believers that weep and have an experience with one another that bonds them for life. Asher, joy. That's what that means. You're meant to burn for joy, to house joy. You find joy at the altar. You bring it and you exchange it. And it's this beautiful exchange. Joseph, God adds to you at the altar. You're built to grow. You're built to be added to, to be built up, to be edified, to be filled, to overflowing. Some of you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and God has added to you exponentially. Benjamin, the son who sits at my right hand, you are built to rest at the altar as a son at God's right hand. You are built for fire. He rebuilds this altar with those 12 tribes because every single one of those things happen at the altar. And Elijah took those stones. Israel shall be your name. One name, 12 tribes. Do you know that there's all kinds of different people in your church or even in this room? And you are part of different tribes, but we are all part of one family. I find that very encouraging. In a culture where there's so much tribalism that takes place, there's so much of the division that takes place. Everybody on your Facebook thinks and acts and talks like you, and, and you delete people that don't. And I'm not saying you've never done that. I'm saying that's what we do. The truth is, is there something about that even at Summit? There are all kinds of people that hang out with people, and we try and force these tribes to, to like, like, okay, you, you guys need to go over here, and you can, you know, that's okay. There's 12 tribes. There's one name. There's a big banner here. Let's come underneath the family. This is a good thing that we come underneath the banner with our tribes. I love, I love what Elijah does. You know the story. I don't need to bore you with the details. As the band comes, 
I just want to move into a response tonight. He takes the wood and cuts the ox in pieces and he lays it on the wood and he says, fill four pitchers of water and he puts it on there and he says, do it a second time and then do it a third time. They douse this altar down, the wood, the ox, the stones, there's water all around so it fills the trench around it. Elisha's prayer was so simple. Oh God of Abraham and Israel, let today be known that you are God and I'm your servant. Answer me that these people may know that you are Lord and that you have turned their heart back to you. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. God is like fire. Sin is like fire. You are built to burn and we are people of the altar. Romans 12.1 says that your life is a living sacrifice, an ongoing living sacrifice, a present imperative actually in the Greek for you Greek nerd scholars. It's an ongoing thing. It's not a once time thing, but you dig into what that is, the renewing of it, offer your life a living sacrifice all the time, ongoing, present imperative, every moment, every day. Take the portable sanctuary of your heart and keep laying yourself on the altar because you will burn for sin or you're going to burn for God. And that is the truth. You have two options. There are no other options. This is the reality that you are a firm what are you burning for? What are your passions? What is the thing that gets you up and keeps you up? Building your kingdom or his? I'm asking you the question. There's this beautiful display of fire that falls. There's this revival that happens. Do you know that the word revival isn't even in the Bible? But you can live revived. You can live on fire. Revival is not God moving, but it's us moving towards God as people of the altar. Revival is not a fire that just falls, but a fire that burns within. It's a people dedicated to the movement of the Spirit. It's a people that are a furnace, that burn for the right things. My message is clear. My message isn't all that profound. My message is just simple. You're a furnace. Sin is fire. God is fire. What are you burning for? This is a special place, and God has something for you tonight. Don't rush it. Don't rush through it. There are people here. I want to pray with you.